Okay, uh, with that, uh, call this meeting to order. Uh, thanks everyone for attending. Serena, could you uh, run through the rules of engagement and then roll call, please? Sure. Okay. Uh, my name is Serena Pearson. I'm a marketing specialist with Lawrence Transit. Um, here's Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Transit and Parking Manager. He will work alongside Mike Wesikowski to facilitate the meeting proceedings. Adam and myself will facilitate the Zoom portion of the meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and public access channel, uh, cable channel 25. During the meeting, when you are not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found on the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you are muted, a red line will appear over the icon. Muting your telephone or your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everyone to hear. You'll just have to remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. In some cases, we may mute or unmute people as needed to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name and title for the benefit of those listening remotely. You can turn on, turn your video on and off by clicking on the video icon on the menu. For the purposes of this public meeting, please keep your video on while you are participating in the meeting. When you're not participating, it's okay to turn your video off. Just remember to turn your video back on when you are participating. If you're participating by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. For those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen, you'll see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker, gallery view tiles all the participants. Okay, now um, I guess we'll go into roll call. Uh, Lance Beatty? Present. Matt Schuber? Here. Mike Wasikowski? Present. Nikunia? Here. Ellen Applin? Gregory Critchlow? Bill Wilson. Present. August Rudisell. Here. Freddie Gibb. Here. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, first item on the agenda is public comment. I see that there are no items attached to the agenda. Adam, is there anyone present in the committee room? Uh, there is not anyone. That is a great view from that overhead camera that shows there is definitely no one there. So uh, thank you. Uh, next item on the agenda then is approval of minutes. Uh, I do not see any uh, item attached to that though. Do we have minutes somewhere else, Adam? Oh, it's not in there. Um, I think that uh, I'm like transit parking manager might have been an oversight, so that's something we'll probably have to bring back to the group um, at the next meeting for approval or discussion. Okay, so we will table that until uh, December to approve minutes from the October meeting. Okay, agenda items then. First item on the agenda is a project with the self-engineering leadership follows. Uh, I believe you have some uh, information to present to us, Adam. Adam Weigel, Transit Parking Manager, and I'll actually turn it over to Felice to um, this discussion. 
And Margaret may have some info as well. We'll start with Louise. Hi, Felice Laverne, Transit Planner 2. Should I share my screen, Adam? Yeah, I think that's work. Okay, how's that? It's good. Okay. <clears throat> we'll give you a quick run through of our self-engineering leadership project. Let's see. Background, we were approached by a graduate assistant at an outreach tabling event. They were very interested in working with us. So we met with faculty to discuss feasibility and then submitted two proposals. And we they selected one of our proposals, which was the DIY community partner bench design. So we scoped out this project. We get a lot of requests to build partnership benches with the community, different organizations, and we wanted to be able to provide them with more guidelines than build us a bench. You know, we wanted safety standards. We wanted to make sure it would be durable, that they could be creative and fit into our existing bus stop standards. So this project will last two semesters. In semester one, we're working on bench design in a material list. And then by the end of semester two, we'll do some concept testing on that bench design and create a design guidelines packet, which will look kind of like an Ikea or a Lego, step-by-step, -step, all the materials and tools that you'll need to make sure that we can get a good final product that is safe and durable. So, so far, we've done two rounds of staff feedback with the students. There's about five of them working on this project with us. It's going really well. And right now they are researching local materials and different options um, for construction. So that will help us narrow down what the final bench will look like. They've got some interesting ideas. And so now we're just gonna see what is practical. For next steps, we will have a final bench design by December of this year and a materials list. And then next semester we will prototype that bench, make sure it holds up under weather conditions. We've got a couple of community partnership benches out in the field already. So we'll be able to kind of check in on those after and during winter to see how that's going to inform our process. And then they will create the step-by-step -step construction guidelines for us. And we will be able to um, have community partners approach us and then feel pretty confident in moving forward with them that we will get an, a good final product from them. That is all. Let me know if you have questions. I'd like to open up to uh, committee members first. Do uh, any of the committee members here have questions? Uh, hearing none, um, I'm impressed. It sounds like a great idea. We definitely have a dearth of amenities at many of our bus stops, and I know that we see a lot of people putting out uh, improvised benches that don't meet any kind of standards. <clears throat> so this is great to me. So Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, yeah, I'll just mention this is kind of a this is a group and a 
and a project that kind of came to us. It's not necessarily something we anticipated, but um, you know, our first contact with a student of the self program, it was um, seemed like a good opportunity. Another way that the city and KU can can kind of work together from different angles. Um, so it was pretty exciting as Felice has been working with that team to figure out what they can do. Um, and it's a, a group that I think does a lot of projects and um, could potentially be partners in the future if we find other kind of matches for things students are interested in and that we're doing. Um, and I didn't give Margaret much of a heads up, but I, I don't know if Margaret, you wanted to mention the other, um, the, the same program has a, a different set of self students who um, was actually uh, interested in helping with another piece of our operations. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd be happy to chat about it. I did not make a pretty PowerPoint. But Margaret, uh, this is August Budistone. I'm so sorry. I didn't want to transition to another subject. I just wanted to ask the scope of the benches or the, I because I, I, when I looked at the material, I didn't see how many they were anticipating working on or did I, was that in the slideshow? Lisa Laverne, Transit Planner 2. They're just going to create one bench prototype okay. with us that may or may not be installed depending on how much we prototype test it. Um, so it'll just be the creation of one bench. Thank you so much. I'm so sorry, Margaret. Perfectly okay. Um, so when they asked us for if we were interested in proposing projects, um, I am spearheading with them the idea of exploring a better online map for our system on our website. I had discovered something called Open Trip Planner, which is some open source software that has some programming requirements that we don't have staff capabilities to handle. And so a team of six other engineering students are going to explore and troubleshoot whether or not we can implement something that's much more user-friendly um, for the map, uh, interactive online map. Uh, good examples of agencies that are using and helping develop Open Trip Planner are TriMet in Portland and MARTA in Atlanta. And so it has good online documentation since it's open source, it's a free uh, software for us to use. And they're going to explore how it works together with WordPress and see if we can implement it with our changes to routes by next summer. Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, I just put in the chat, the TriMet example, one of one of the ideas on what that could possibly look like. Um, so I don't want to speak too much for Felice and Margareta, but I think we're all pretty excited about this uh, program and these groups of students. They are, um, so far working with them has been very, um, they've been very proactive and prepared and uh, seem very capable. And that's uh, an exciting prospect when we're trying to find um, of course, other ways to partner with people, but also kind of expand our uh, capabilities as well. Projects. We I'm going to add, Adam, that the TriMet one is still being beta tested. So I just sent you a different link to send everyone. That would be the actual open trip planner test. It looks a little different. It's not a huge change, but it's not quite the same. 
I think it's pretty exciting. It's fun to have students working on a project and facilitate their learning in a way that benefits everyone. And I think they're excited about having a project that also will be very visible to the public for a long time to come. Yeah, in the future, I would love to have these students come in and chat with us so that we can express our appreciation for what they're doing. Hopefully, maybe we could talk to them about attending a meeting in April when they're nearer to completion of the projects. Uh, thank you. Do any uh, PTAC members have other comments, questions about these things? Seeing nothing. Okay. Thank you very much for uh, that information. Uh, really happy to see that uh, the students are willing to help improve our transit system. Uh, agenda item number two is uh, Buses and Bus Facilities Federal Grant Application. Uh, looks like, uh, Adam, you and your team have some information to present to us on this. Um, yes, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. And um, I guess before we get into that, I just see um, a person named Mark who joined. Um, if you remember the public, I guess let's just make sure and pause, Mike, with each um, agenda item in Absolutely. case Mark wants to provide comment. So Absolutely. Before I move on, Mark, did you have anything related to agenda item number one? Uh, so far, I did not, no. Okay. Thank you for checking in, I appreciate it. All right, so uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, um, uh, Buses and Bus Facilities. So there is another uh, federal grant opportunity, competitive federal grant opportunity ahead of us that we have been preparing some material for. Uh, the Buses and Bus Facilities Program is technically the umbrella program that um, the Lower No Emissions Program would sit under. So Bus and Bus Facilities is uh, typically a lot more money, is a lot broader in the type of projects they're looking for. So they're looking for anything from uh, buses to technology to facilities and improvements um, to things like bus stop improvements. It's a very wide range of projects that, that agencies can submit proposals for. And in our case, um, we see it as the next opportunity for us to continue our vehicle replacement program with electric vehicles. Um, it's another opportunity to explore some different technology while we're still early in this process and make sure that we are um, have a good pulse and empirical evidence on different bus manufacturers um, so that we can really know what works best for our community and, and kind of see it on our streets. Um, so in this case, we're working to prepare an application for two electric buses. We are looking at the Proterra ZX-5 model, which is the highest uh, battery capacity bus on the market right now. Um, it uh, is measured to go 329 miles of range um, 675 kilowatt hours of battery energy on it um, compared to our first electric buses that have 440 kilowatt hours. So quite a bit more. Um, not to say that we, we still don't feel confident this first set of electric buses is going to serve some important needs for us. Um, that extra capacity 
would help us kind of see how that type of that type of vehicle would perform in our environment. Um, there's differences in, in how long it can stay out on routes, uh, what routes it can go on, that sort of thing. So uh, we're coming to this group seeking a uh, letter of support for us to pursue this grant opportunity. I attached a draft letter very similar to one that um, Mike has put together before with the support of this group for other projects. Um, this grant is due on November 19th, and uh, we would likely be noticed if we were awarded within two or three months, which is about typical for a, a federal grant. Um, the timing of this particular project, if we were awarded, would be closely aligned with our second low-no grant, um, which means we're looking at buses that would arrive in 2023 go into service fall of that year. So still on track to get our five electric buses this year. We know we have two coming in 2023 already, with the second low no grant, and this would be two additional that would be on a, on a similar timeline. So um, happy to answer any other questions about kind of the direction we're headed with that or, um, or this grant itself or, or anything else. Uh, I'll open it up to public first. Uh, Mark, do you have any comments, questions, concerns about this? I do not. If, it, if I'm understanding it correctly, you said the grant is to like help acquire more electric buses? Correct. Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. So they, um, these grants are for capital improvements uh, as opposed to like ongoing operations. So um, these grants would help us fund the purchase of electric buses and associated charging infrastructure, um, essentially making that cost uh, comparable. And, and in this case, uh, even less than if we were to just buy diesel buses with, uh, with our own money, um, which is much harder to find competitive grant money for these days, um, even if we wanted them. So uh, there's, there's kind of that trade-off of, um, you know, going after grants to fund the upfront cost, and we expect there to be savings on the back end. Awesome, thank you so much for that, for that answer, yeah. Okay, uh, do my uh, fellow PTAC members have any comments, questions, or concerns they'd like to bring up? Okay. Uh, oh, Gregory, go ahead. Just one question. Uh, so does that um, grant include the infrastructure uh, manipulations to accommodate the electric vehicle? So it's a good question. Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, the infrastructure has to be um, has to be included with the project, right? I mean, we have we have to get charging infrastructure to support those vehicles. The way we've funded that throughout the low no grants and the way we're looking at doing it here as well is by 100% um, funding everything related to charging infrastructure using local funds. And that is primarily because the infrastructure itself will be installed out at the joint maintenance facility. That's um, a property that's owned um, and operated by KU um, that we partner on and have our uh, consul our, uh, contracted service provider out there. Um, 
but there are some concerns about um, federalizing any piece of that property by having a federal money stake in it. So the way we usually structure these um, these grants, the ones we've done before and the one we're doing now is um, we essentially consider that local money um, in this particular case, almost separate from the grant actually that we are seeking. Um, in prior low no grants, it's been considered kind of part of the local match dollars. In this particular case, because of some nuanced differences in how procurement works, um, we, we are not including anything charging infrastructure related in the grant request, only asking for the buses themselves. Um, and those will, we're seeking 85% funding from FTA and we would fund 15% local match. Um, at the end of the day, the way that all shakes out is it, it looks like it'll cost us around $675,000 of local money for buses and infrastructure for two vehicles. Um, so that's a better price than if you were to upfront buy two, you know, two diesel buses would probably cost around 800 grand or more um, for this size of vehicle. This is August. So is that city, the 685, is that already allocated or gone through the commission? Adam Weigel, transit and parking manager. Um, no. So that, that money would actually not be spent until 2023. So if awarded the funds, when we get the vehicles, that's when that money's actually spent. So um, that's part of the purpose of this process and asking, you know, for your support, but also uh, tomorrow night's city commission meeting, um, or sorry, um, the 16th city commission meeting, uh, will get their support to pursue the grant, knowing that there would be a local commitment if we were awarded. Um, so it'll, it'll show up there. It would also show up in the 2023 budget that commissioners will start seeing um, in the next five months or so. Thank you for that discussion. Are there any other uh, comments, questions, concerns from PTAC members? Okay. Um, thank you, everyone. Uh, I do have a couple questions, Adam. Uh, one is uh, this is bringing in nine buses in the span of two years effectively into our fleet. Uh, what how, what is that going to mean in terms of retiring buses that are already in the fleet from service? Yes, that's a great question. Yeah, so uh, Adam Weigel, transit and parking manager. It, it is the intent to start moving us towards um, about a two bus replacement each year. That's roughly what we need to cover the um, cover service needs and have things retire at the appropriate time. Um, Part of our challenge is we do have some blocks of vehicles that were purchased all at once. Um, and in 2023, that's one of the years that we have um, uh, six or five vehicles that are ready for retirement. Um, so we have kind of this, this larger group that kind of floods us all at one time. So to a certain extent, we're, um, we're going to end up in vehicle replacement scheduling, having a little more than we need for a little bit until we can smooth back out that uh, that kind of two bus per year replacement. Um, and it's just the nature of how we've purchased before um, that creates that challenge. The other 
piece of this that we honestly just have to consider right now is is um, is being kind of in the pilot stage of deployment of electric and not uh, fully understanding if we'll have buses that will be able to stay out 10 or 11 hours all day on a route. Um, we may need a little more spare ratio than we do now in order to make sure we always have charge buses available to cover the service needs. So um, it's, it's a little, it's starting to um, stretch us a little bit, um, but in ways I think we have to do in order to kind of get over that hump um, and kind of get to a place where we're confident each bus we buy covers all of our service needs, no problem, um, and gets us down to that like two bus purchases per year roughly. Okay, thank you. Uh, my other question was uh, all of the buses that we've bought so far with the, these different grants have been our extended length buses. And that's, I think, to be expected because most of our buses are that way, but on the current fleet. But I know that we have some cutaway vehicles that we use for other purposes within the fleet. Uh, do we have any plans on applying for grants on those kinds of things in the future? Um, I guess actually before that question would be, when are those kinds of cutaway vehicles expected to be retired from the fleet? That's another another great question. Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, so we're, we retire cutaways each year as well. Um, so we've got work to do on that side. And, and typically we've been purchasing gasoline vehicles off the state contract for that. Um, The first thing I would say is that the, the biggest bang for our buck as far as emissions reductions is in our larger vehicles. Um, you know, we, we've got a lot more to gain from a sustainability perspective by replacing a um, four miles per gallon diesel 40 foot bus than um, a, a cutaway that doesn't get great gas mileage, but it's gasoline, not diesel, and it usually gets better uh, gas mileage than that. So that's one piece of that puzzle. Um, another piece is that there's not nearly as much deployment of cutaway or like Ford transit van size electric vehicles out in the market yet. Uh, there are some, but not nearly as much. So we've been a little hesitant to start with those because of those couple of reasons. Um, you know, we see we've got bigger needs and, you know, not, not quite the empirical evidence we would like to see yet. Um, with that said, you know, we are looking at uh, getting closer and closer to our, our large vehicle needs and we'll need to start shifting our focus to, to the smaller vehicles. There are some companies doing this work. Um, I think we see future low-no grants as a good opportunity to start piloting in that area. Um, low-no is a little, uh, it is more preferable for us when we're stepping into new partners and new markets like that uh, because identification of partners is the method of uh, federally compliant procurement. Um, when we decide our partners at that stage and are awarded by FTA, they, they say that that is approved as you know federally compliant procurement. In this particular grant, um, if awarded funds, uh, technically, we still need to go procure. We cannot um, name a partner and have that be the end of the story. The slight nuance from that is that um, we can identify a preferred OEM, in this case, Proterra, 
and they are on federal, federally compliant state contracts already. So uh, if awarded the funds, our method of procurement is to um, turn around and say, okay, our method of procurement is to use this Georgia state contract that's got these vehicles already federally procured. And that's a way we can essentially choose the partner we wanna work with. Um, there's not those opportunities with the, with the smaller uh, vehicles yet. Um, there's not a lot of established relationships with those and not a lot of agencies have them on, you know, cooperative contracts that anyone can, can tack on to. So it's one of those things, that's a very long answer, but it's one of those things that's on our minds. Um, we haven't seen it as the top priority, but we do definitely see it as this other avenue that we need to explore, we need to figure out and pilot um, because we know that's a good percentage of our fleet as well. Uh, thank you for all that information, Adam. You're absolutely right. If I'm prioritizing certain things, big buses definitely are the top ticket and cutaways are decidedly second. Um, not that there's a problem. I definitely love the idea of getting the entire fleet electrified eventually. Um, that's going to take a while, of course. But uh, if we're going to do something first, I'd prefer it to be large buses as well. So thank you for that information. Uh, that's all of my questions, unless there is any other comment, question, concern from PTAC members. Uh, I would definitely entertain a motion for uh, the chair myself to draft a letter in support of this grant. And Mike, uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager, before we move into that, um, I just saw a, I think chat is set up just directly to me, so I'll be reading chat as they come in. Okay. But Mark, um, Mark asked about if, um, would diesel buses be the ones that are phased out for those two electric buses? Um, and the answer to that is yes, that's that's the way we've done our prior two grants and that's the plan for this as well. Um, the buses that these would replace would be diesel vehicles. Thanks for reading that out. I did not see that message come through because it did go directly to you. <laughs> uh, does anyone want to uh, make a motion? at this time. Hey, Kuzmiak, PTAC member. I would motion that we as a committee um, support the grant application process and direct the chair to pen the letter of support. Did I catch everything? Yes, uh, thank you, Nick. Uh, right. Is there a second to this motion? Go ahead, Lance. Uh, yeah, Lance Fay, Vice Chair, second. Uh, thank you, Nick and Lance. Uh, so the motion is on the floor. Unless there are any final comments, questions, concerns, uh, Serena, we can take a vote now. Okay. Lance Fay. Yes. Next, Schieber. Uh, yes. Okay. Mike Wazikowski. Yes. Nick Kuzniak. Yes. Alan Eklund's not here, I don't believe. Uh, Gregory Critchlow? Yes. Uh, Bill Wilson? Yes. August Rudisell? Yes. And Freddie Gibb? Yes. Okay. That's eight to zero. Uh, so motion passes. I'll uh, get a letter drafted to uh, you, Adam, sometime late this week, early next week. 
And did you say something about uh, having to go to the commission to uh, talk about getting uh, approval to apply, right? Correct. Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. It's on the November 16th City Commission agenda, um, which is the same thing we've done for the prior two low-no grants as we, we um, tell them what we're applying for and request a letter of support from the mayor. So it'll be on that consent agenda. Um, consent. Okay. That's mainly what I wanted to confirm. Thank you very much. Um, I don't think I'll need to attend in that situation. Okay. Uh, thank you for that lively discussion, everyone. The next item on the agenda is downtown transit improvement scope update. Uh, Adam Weigel, transit and parking manager. So I uh, wanted to update you all on uh, where we're at for next steps involving downtown transit improvements. So um, as a recap, we went back to the commission in August of this last year with, uh, with concept designs for not only the Bob Billings facility, but a few different sites downtown um, to look at some more limited transit improvements. We anticipate even with route redesign and a new, a new focus on that Bob Billings facility um, that we'll still need uh, transfer space for about five vehicles at a time. Um, in August, there was a lot of discussion about um, challenges with the few sites that we had drawn concepts for and, um, and uh, not nearly enough community support at that time for, um, for that to move forward. So uh, admittedly, it's been a little challenging for our design consultant to um, go full speed ahead on continuing with design work for the Bob Billing site. While at the same time, um, you know, trying to look at what the next scope of work is for downtown. So it has taken a little time to put together what that looks like. They have, um, they've had some success in, in prior communities, particularly uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan, in a downtown facility where, where there was lots of similar concerns to ours um, that we heard here with, um, with parking and, and other, other issues. And uh, the plan that's formulated is going before the city commission tomorrow night um, on the consent agenda for our next scope of work with Wendell. Um, and really to, to get to a uh, community supported site downtown that we can move into concepts, uh, move forward with the concept on, we're really looking at um, in general, three pieces of that work. Um, it was, pretty clear to us that we, uh, the process we went through um, this, this last go around was, was not one that resulted in a lot of um, shared understanding of what the challenges actually are, what problems we're actually trying to solve, um, and what criteria we were using to select a site, technical criteria as well as um, less technical criteria. So this first scope of work is focused on those pieces. Um, it, it refrains from us jumping into, um, you know, like identifying a few more sites and, and drawing up new engineering drawings. We're stepping back from looking at any specific sites in this next scope of work and focusing on a process where we can um, 
talk more forwardly with community members about what what we need from transit, what businesses need, what pedestrians need, what auto drivers need, um, and develop actual criteria that we can use to evaluate sites. Um, before we jump into evaluating new sites, we need to all have a good understanding of what those criteria are that we're going to uh, score or rank or evaluate each site on. Um, so that is where this scope lives, is in that work. Um, with, uh, with that is also the need to have um, a good community-backed understanding of the geographic boundary that we will look for a site within. I think in general, we heard um, some support for you know what the what centrally located in downtown means, um, but but even still, I think sites were being brought up that were outside of that. Um, you know, looking at sites over on Kentucky and and other streets that weren't necessarily in in what we considered downtown core. So um, that's another piece of work that we would like to get broad support for. Is like what's the firm line that whatever we do is going to be within this line, um, so that we're not just kind of chasing, uh, you know, what's the latest idea for where the transit facility should be. Um, I think one of the discussion points brought up at that meeting was um, was the general idea that people may not want it near them. So if, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be near somebody. Um, so we need to figure out what our, our actual criteria are and where, where our firm boundaries are. So that's the, the gist of the scope that I attached to this meeting invite and that's on the city commission tomorrow is aiming to accomplish those goals. Um, once we, you know, make progress through that, the next phase of work would be uh, identification of all candidate sites with the community so that we can evaluate those sites against the criteria we all agreed to. Um, I think that's another piece that we don't want to do alone or as a small group of staff or even with the type of input we tried to do the last time. I think we we want more robust um, and thorough eyes on the geographic boundary we agree to so that, again, so we don't get to the end of the process and an additional site is brought up. Um, I think we're trying to really wrap our arms around what the options are so we can narrow that down. So as I mentioned, the first scope of work, it's all about criteria, boundary. Do we agree what problems we're trying to solve? Second piece would be, okay, what are what's any site, good or bad, that we can think of so that we can start scoring it against those criteria? Third piece would be um, getting some direction from the community and the commission on a few sites to actually draw concepts for. Um, to make a selection out of that group. So um, it is certainly a slowed down process. Um, it's one that I believe does a better job of following um, the International Association of Public Participation guidelines and process. Um, I think it gets us away from positional arguments, um, you know, people taking positions about um, about parking, about uh, access for different transportation user groups. It gets us away from that and, and focuses more on um, 
kind of the values that we'll hold first, and then we'll build from there um, so that we don't get ourselves entrenched in different, different user groups too early. Um, so IUP2, that public participation process is one that a number of city staff are, are going through and it's a big focus of the strategic plan and kind of the way we're gonna try to do business moving forward. Um, and I think in particular with this project, uh, I think our goal is not to, um, not to do something that a large group of people are against or don't have an understanding even of how we built ourselves to get there. And um, even with, engagement work that's been done. Um, I don't know that that's been done in a way where it's it's kind of followed the right process or brought the right people along to, um, to reach that type of understanding in the end. So that's the direction we're headed um, and happy to answer any questions, concerns about that. Um, that's, that's what we have. Uh, open first to uh, members of the public. Mark, do you have any comments, questions, concerns? Yeah, I have a couple comments and questions. Um, so I guess one question I have right away, and I messaged it to you, Adam, but like, generally speaking, like, how long do you think this timeline is going to be to approve whatever site we end up choosing? Like, like how like how long are we looking at for all three of these scopes? Like, is this going to continue into like spring of 2022? Is this something we hope to wrap up by then? Like, I guess, how long do you think this is going to take? That is a good question. Um, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. The uh, the non-committal side of me would say it 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 takes the right amount of time <laughs> for the process to happen. If I'm if I'm being more um, uh, Honest though, I think it it probably sets us a year behind where we were. So I think you know that the type of engagement I just described in this first phase is really important, um, and I don't think we're going to try to squeeze that into the holiday season. I think we I think we'll be unsuccessful if we do that. Um, so I think this piece of work happens in the early spring. You're probably talking between two or three months. For this type of process. Um, I think site identification and evaluation is maybe around the same time frame. I would say two or three months for that work. Um, and the, the third phase is probably a little quicker. You know, our, the consultant we have can relatively quickly do, if we're looking at any two, three, five sites, they can relatively quickly uh, do test fits, they're called, you know, Will buses fit here? Will the circulation work? Um, and that and that's kind of what we get to when we would go before commission again. Um, so you're probably talking. You know, we we went to the city commission in August with a lot of this work. Mm -hmm. um, this year, I think that's probably about the same time frame that it would come back to that group um, with with more uh, you know supported three, five options for us to move forward with as a community. Yeah. Okay. And speaking of, thank you for the responses to that question, because I'm definitely a concerned community member who wants this downtown site to happen. And I've been paying attention to a lot of the pushback it's gotten. Um, and I'm just thinking of all the people that were left out of the conversation whose lives like would tangibly be improved by this bus site downtown. Like, how are you planning to pull those folks 
into these types of conversations because I just know like coming to a city commission meeting and like having those people speak up, like it's possible, but that takes a lot of organizing. So like, are you guys planning to go out there and like actively talk to these people and like pull them into these conversations outside of a meeting that's like four to six during a work day? Yeah, more, more good questions. Um, Adam Weigel, transit and parking manager. Um, I mean, I think that's the, that's the basis of the better process we want to take. I mean, it's, it's not only about engaging the, the folks who didn't agree with the process last time. It's also like you mentioned people who are, um, where it's just not, it's not going to be feasible to, to get, um, certain people to come to a city commission meeting it, or, or this meeting it, it won't happen. So we'll have to, um, meet people where they're at in a number of ways and find good, um, find good methods to um, not only collect that information, but record it and, yeah. and kind of like uh, package it in a way that's easily shareable back out so that people can understand what those conversations were like. I mean, practically speaking, it's, um, it's strategies like riding on buses and talking with people. It's, yeah. it's staff standing on the bus platform and talking with people. Mm -hmm. um, it's, um, you know, meeting people in the groups they already exist in. So uh, going out to the community shelter, to faith communities, to um, areas where people already gather and talking with people in those settings. So that's, um, you know, not an exhaustive list, but those are some of the things we're thinking about as how to reach, you know, the, the right the right groups of people to, to make sure we hear these different perspectives. Yeah. All right. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad to hear like, I mean, even as you were talking about the scopes, I could tell that's that's been a focus. Um, and I'm glad to hear you say like meeting the people where they're at. And I guess this is more of a comment, but like maybe we could even the way like the climate action plan is set up right now with like how they created those like climate ambassadors who are going out into their own circles and having these conversations and then reporting all that back to Jasmine in her office. Like maybe that's something similar. I don't know what it would look like, but maybe something along the same lines where people have these conversations about the transit facility downtown in their own circles. Because I'm I'm with Sunrise Movement, but I feel like a lot of the conversations I've had where I've heard people talk about like, oh my God, like we have a bus hub being proposed downtown. Like I need that. You know, like I, I also work at the Lawrence Public Library and I do a lot of um, resource referral with patrons there. Obviously, like I'd say 90% of them depend on the bus to get around and access all these um, resources in town. And they talk about how much it's needed, but you know, they don't have the time or even the access like Wi-Fi laptop to sit in on a meeting like this and, you know, tell you all that this is something they need that would like noticeably improve their lives. And so maybe that's something we could even possibly do is like, like, like I know for the climate action plan, they gave people conversation starters that they could then use to go out and have conversations in the community and then report back to the sustainability office. So maybe something like that for the transit station could also happen. I'm just thinking of like tapping into those networks of support. So like, like, I don't know, just a lot of groups who, I'm even thinking of like the Lawrence Fridge group, like they talk with a lot of houseless folks who would definitely need this bus up but like they know how to get in contact with those folks more than like we do at sunrise or more than we do at the lawrence library maybe than some of us even do here at this um committee meeting so i don't know it'd be cool to see something like that happen where you like 
give people the tools to go have these conversations and then report back to you all. Yeah, Adam Michael, Transit and Parking Manager. I'll, yeah, thank, thank you for that. I mean, tons of great ideas and uh, definitely have my brain spinning. I mean, I know we're watching Jasmine and her group and, and how this goes for them because what they're doing is very different than what we've done before. So um, we, we definitely want to learn from that process, but then, um, yeah, you, you mentioned a, a number of other things that, that we'll need to think about how, how we can enact those or, or reach groups of people in, in unique ways. Uh, Lance, Lance Faye, Vice Chair PTAC. Um, thanks, Mark, for your interest and um, concerns for this. Um, and I, so am I, I'm trying to understand, so what we're asking City Commission for tomorrow night is the approval of the approach we're taking on this is basic, is that a, an appropriate so, summation? Yeah, it, uh, so Lance uh, stepping in, the attachment is a supplement to the engineering service agreement. So correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, we're going to ask the city commission to sign this agreement to investigate what location or what criteria to evaluate stuff with and then what locations would work so uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, this is, yes, a, a supplement to the agreement. So ultimately what we're asking them is, is uh, for, for the approval to spend $131,000 um, of funds to take this next step in this process. So it's an approval of funds. Um, you know, at, at the same time, I guess it would be a reflection of if, if that's the direction they do or don't want to see us go, we'll, we'll hear about that and, and get course corrected if, if needed. Um, but, but that's the request in front of them is to approve those funds for us to um, you know, move forward with this piece of the project. All right, uh, Lance Faye, Vice Chair. Okay, I'm gonna kind of speak my observations of this and this goes back for 20 years now. Um, I've watched every time that we try to do something downtown, the same basic core group of people come out against it and they flood city commission with their complaints against it. And it is a fairly similar group each time. Again, I've watched this for 20 years and we're asking for more money to reevaluate and re you know, reconsider it. And I, I understand and I approve that, I really do. But I have the same concern that we're gonna do this and that same group of people is going to come back to the city commission meeting with the same complaints. They're not, they're, this is the same group that is never, they just don't want public transit downtown. Uh, and, and they're going to fight it. And so that's going to happen. And, and some of our city commissioners are aware of this. And as we go ask them for more money for this, they're going to, they're going to kind of look back over the, their observations of the last few years and say, uh, we want to throw more money at this. I get it. I get their side of it too. And so I'm curious to how we're going to approach this, that they're going to one, approve it tomorrow. And then two, how are we going to reach out and get enough support that this same group of people that always comes back and opposes anything we try to do downtown, how uh, I'm, I'm not quite putting everything together as to how we're going to overcome uh, I guess convince city commission that this is worthwhile to continue um, I 
I'm a little, I would like to be more optimistic about this. And so as I hear, as much as I love everything that's going on, I've watched this for 20 years and I just keep, we keep getting the same result. So enlighten me here. How How is this going to be different? How are we going to reach out to everyone better this time? I, I would like, I would like a little more encouragement on this. <laughs> Um, this is Mike Wozniakowski. I don't know that I can give you more encouragement, but uh, I personally, I'm going to say I like this approach and that we are trying to hit at it from a more principled perspective than simply positions of here are the different locations that we're looking at. Now let's apply an ad hoc analysis onto those locations and figure out which of these look good, which of these look bad. We're completely flipping the process around at this point by looking at how are we going to evaluate these locations before we even figure out which locations are viable. Because all we're doing is necking in, here's this region where we say we are going to draw this transit facility at somewhere in here, but nobody will know what that specific location is until after we've already agreed upon this criteria. I, I sympathize with the fact that there will probably still be positional opposition to this and that eventually we will have to come out with locations. Eventually we will have to uh, say this one is our preference and this is the one that we want the city commission to vote on. But there's no way around that. I mean, we eventually have to put our eggs in one basket. And the really the best way I can think of to try and ward off those kinds of complaints is let's keep people thinking principled about this. And that if your principle really is no location in downtown is acceptable, then you know, I, I'm not sure that we really need to pay attention to them because most of us, I would say, and a pretty sizable chunk of the public agree that we need a location down there and just blanket opposition is not going to convince anyone on that. Uh, Adam, did you have anything you wanted to chime in? Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. The, the only thing I was gonna add, and I, um, yeah, I can understand these these comments and views is um, our concern was the um, we're unsure of the strategy of of just selecting new sites and like you said, Mike, evaluate like applying technical principles to those. Can buses fit? Can we do the turning movements? Um, because it feels a little bit like whack-a-mole um, with. Uh, with selecting sites in that way, I think the intent was to was to pull ourselves back to a level where we we um, have all the discussions that we need to leading up to site selection. And I'm and I'm not sure. I, I know this has been studied and discussed for a long time. I'm not sure we've we've um, done it in a thorough, regimented way through that to get to the point where we're where we're selecting sites, um, particularly in the downtown area. Um, downtown's been a part of the discussion um, no prior when when we were also looking out at, at different sites throughout town in general. Um, but it's clear to me that we don't have that base 
that really leads up to um, a certain set of sites. I don't think our goal is to convince everyone. I mean, this this isn't like a, an argumentative exercise. <laughs> it's it's an it's an identification of um, like an agreement to the problem we're trying to solve, an agreement to to uh, values and criteria we will use to approach that problem. Um, and and at that point, the the viewpoint that that you know transit wouldn't belong anywhere within the boundary would would be outside of be outside of that. <laughs> um, that that would not be um, something we can address if we've all agreed to it lives within this boundary. It fits this criteria. Um, this is what we're moving towards. Lance Fay, Vice Chair PTAC. I, I do, I mean, I do appreciate the approach and I, I support it. I'm trying to put myself in the position of the city commissioners and particularly the ones that maybe were not as supportive of the proposals made previously, or maybe are not as in touch with the public transit needs as some of the others. And if part of what we're asking for tomorrow involves allocating funding, if I were that city commissioner, I'd, I'd have to think very carefully and I would, it would take some convincing. Again, I'm stepping outside of my own brain here. I'm trying to think in terms of somebody that maybe is not focused on this as much as we are, who, but still has you know, an impact on what goes forward. And and so I'm kind of, I, I guess I'm a little concerned about this being approved. Uh, what happens if it's not? What happens if they say, no, we're not giving you more money for this? Then what? So I guess that's where I'm at. Uh, you know, forgive me for being the pessimist here, but I'm just trying to think realistically from the point of, you know, the city commission. I'm going to chip in Mike Wazkowski, PTAC chair. Um, I don't think there'd be any way for us to redo routes going into next year without using some sort of downtown location. We would, if we don't have it, which we're planning on not having one at August, 2022, then we're going to continue with the temporary location that is not so temporary anymore next to the library and next to the AT&T building. It, that's the trade-off that they're going to make if they don't spend this money. And, you know, uh, if that's what they want to do, I can't tell them they shouldn't to, or should or should not spend the money in that kind of manner, but that's what they're going to be telling businesses and Lawrence Public Library, other public services that it's not getting rid of downtown service. It is, we are keeping what we have right now and it's subpar state that everyone agrees is subpar. And we're going to continue having that kind of a black stain on our system a little bit. Are there any other PTAC members who have comments, questions or concerns? Okay. The only 
Uh, Adam, the only other question I have is I know that we had earmarked a certain sum of money to be used for both the Bob Billings location and the downtown improvements. I'm really concerned that whatever locations we're going to sweep into this review are all going to universally cost more money than the uh, most affordable options that we looked at from the first go round that were already basically at the limit of our budget. So what's our flexibility there? Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. So um, we do have some uh, transit reserve funding, you know, funding that has um, been building over time with uh, tax funding coming in. Um, you know, the the longer this gets um, pushed out or studied or, you know, additional scopes of work, of course, the total project budget increases. Um, it'll have an impact on, you know, we'll have to be forward thinking about when some of this money is going to be spent and adjusting the CIP along the way for that to happen. Um, so as an example, as we go into the 2023 budget, which will start here in a couple of months, the development of that, um, if, if we're aiming to have downtown transit improvements in 2023, um, we'll need to be planning for what that looks like. And um, we, we may need to be just thoughtful with that budget so that we have enough as, as this advances. Um, but you're right that the total project budget costs um, will certainly increase with additional study. Okay. Thank you. Um, ATEC members, anybody else? I know we've kind of talked this issue quite a ways, but this is definitely a big topic that's really important. So I want to make sure Does anybody else have any comments, questions, concerns before we step away from this agenda item. I do have another question. So I just want to make sure I'm understanding it correctly. Is the downtown site like, is it going to happen? Like, is it happening regardless? Like, we just don't know the location. Like, at the end, we know we want to build a downtown transit facility, or is even that, like, still up in there? Like, we don't know if it's actually going to happen. I would guess that it's still technically up in the air, that right now the only approval that the City Commission has given is to flesh out the design for the facility at Bob Billings and Crestline. So technically right now, the only true viable option that we have before approval of this scope to do more investigation is we use the Bob Billings and Crestline location and we use the uh, street next to the Lawrence Public Library in the AT&T building between uh, 7th and 8th on Vermont. Okay, thank you for that response. Any other comments, questions, concerns? This is August. I've been trying to save my comments for my part of the agenda, but really it ties into this is that the downtown transfer location is such a crucial point of the entire transit system. There's just, and I hope the city commission really understands that, that without the, even with the Vermont library stop, even if it stays that while we design it, it's still 
like you said, Mike, it's never going to go away because we everything depends on that downtown transfer hub. Um, and I just hope that the city, to, to Lance's point, I hope the commission understands how crucial it is um, that we continue studying it so that we are able to include and develop or propose and develop a downtown site that works for uh, the whole system. Thank you for that, August. Uh, anybody else, please? Anybody have comments, questions, concerns? Okay, thank you very much. Uh, I guess one last question. Is it like, is there going to be a chance for community members like to speak up in support of the way you guys are wanting to approach this? Like, or is it just really something that the city commission gets? Well, that's a good question. Adam, is it on the consent agenda, this item tomorrow? Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, yes, this item is on the consent agenda tomorrow's meeting. So um, consent agenda items can be pulled for discussion and a vote um, by commissioners or by members of the public. Um, but it's it's currently on consent. So if no one would pull it, there would be no discussion. Um, if someone were to pull it, there would be uh, typically questions and discussion. Thank you, Mark. Um, once again, any other comments, questions, or concerns? Okay, thank you very much. Lively discussion. Um, glad to see that people care about this and uh, want to get a new facility constructed. Agenda item number four is an update on the route redesign project. I guess we can roll in also item E2 with this with updates from August and Freddie if they have those after the uh, after the transit staff presentation. So Adam, you have something to present to us? Uh, yes, so Adam Weigel, transit and parking manager. And I think um, I was thinking about the best way to talk through this item. You know, we're, we're about halfway through the uh, um, the survey period for the two route redesign scenarios that are out for public comment right now. There's a route redesign survey on Lawrence Listens. There's a number of in-person events that staff has been going to um, in, in that effort to meet people where they're at. Um, we do have an open house at the library this Thursday, um, and we've got a couple of uh, Haskell-focused events that we're targeting for the week after this week. So um, there's still some things to do in, in the outreach. Um, there's also gonna be staff, uh, including myself, riding buses and talking with passengers on specific routes about what the two scenarios would mean for them. Um, I want to make clear um, that we, we've kind of said this throughout all of our materials related to this project, but um, to reiterate it, these two scenarios are not meant to be um, like final scenarios that we would adopt wholesale. We're not going to say, you know, 51% of people voted on scenario one, so we're going to enact that. Um, this really is to get input on both of them and the, the pieces that people like and don't like about each of them. 
um, so that our consultant can help us build a final recommended scenario that ideally is piecing together the, the, the most popular parts of each of the two scenarios um, into something that we can again talk about as a public. I think we have tried to communicate a major system redesign in a lot of different ways. If you've taken the survey, it's um, it's got a lot of information in there. You know, there's links to videos. We have a link to an interactive GIS map where you can turn on and off different routes yourself. Um, it asks people to evaluate the system as a whole and also route by route if you care, you know, more specifically about individual routes and, and want to provide comments on those. Um, and I think just the nature of a system redesign means that it's a complex thing. So I think we continue to, to try to find ways to um, communicate what these changes mean for people. And um, one of the latest ways we've done this are, are a couple new maps that we developed. We'll be using these at our in-person outreach strategies. Um, we've put them on the website. And I was going to pull those up and talk through a couple of um, scenarios with you all, a couple of things that have come up um, more frequently when we've been having our discussions with people at, at in-person events um, and kind of go from there. Uh, you know, we certainly don't have time in this meeting for me to walk through uh, route by route, scenario by scenario and, and talk through what these mean, but I can maybe give you a window into a couple of the, the main ideas we've been hearing from people about and happy to answer questions from you all after that. So with that, I'll share my screen here. Okay, so uh, on, our, on our main website, we have a um, route redesign project page. One of these banners takes you right to it, um, but we also have a route redesign page under the learn tab. And these first two links, scenario one map and scenario two map, um, these were just posted today. These are new um, maps that we hope can illustrate things a little more clearly for folks. And um, to start, I'll, I'll zoom in on some of this so you can see it a little better, but just to give you a, a lay of the land. So one of the challenges with all of our current mapping tools, whether it's ArcGIS Online, uh, whether it's the remix tool that we use for planning purposes. One of the big challenges is um, overlapping lines and the fact that none of those softwares can, can display route lines side by side when they overlap. Um, that can create some real challenges in trying to figure out how everything fits together for somebody who's, who wants to see what these systems do. So um, I'll zoom in here, but that you can see kind of at its surface um, how we've separated these route lines so you can see where things continue and don't get lost in what overlaps. Microtransit and interlining have been two topics that we've been talking with people a lot about. Um, so I included some brief information on those two topics. Um, you know, what a microtransit zone or system is and how it works. Um, some brief information about that. And then interlining is a concept that Lawrence has actually done before. Um, uh, I think more than 10 years ago, we had some interlined routes. Many agencies today do interlined routes. 
And that's actually one of the topics um, that I'd like to talk through so that this group has an understanding um, uh, and so that anyone who's watching this has an understanding. The general idea with interlining is that um, a single bus operates across two different routes and uh, transitions between them usually at the end point, at the final time point. Um, a bus that is one route becomes another. Uh, the primary reason to, well, there are a few reasons to do that, but a, a big passenger benefit reason to do that is that it allows people to um, travel between two routes without having to physically get off the bus and onto another bus for a transfer. Um, your bus changes routes, but it's the same bus. So people never miss their transfers. They end up having one seat ride access to many different parts of town, not only on the route that they live next to. Um, and that can create some real, uh, real positive side effects. So this is scenario one, and I'm going to zoom in on one of the interline options in this route, which is to interline routes four and 10. Now, maybe I'll give an overview picture of routes four and 10 in scenario one. Um, route four in scenario one uh, combines a portion of current route four with current route six. So you see that a single bus still travels from North Lawrence to downtown, but that same bus then continues along the sixth street corridor, um, hits major destinations like Free State High, Rock Truck Park, LMH Health West, um, and travels back and forth along that route. Route 10 in scenario one travels between the new Bob Billings hub and also um, some of these areas out west, so Rock Chalk Park and LMH Health West. In this case, Route 10 travels down Bob Billings, along Wakarusa, and uh, covers a portion of um, Wakarusa and Rock Chalk that we do not currently serve right now, but there are some um, relatively dense apartments up through this area. Uh, the Lynx is one of those complexes up in this area. And in general, these two corridors, um, Wakarusa and Rock Chalk and Overland, have been challenging for us to figure out how to best serve with fixed route transit. Um, they have not dissimilar um, densities of uh, multifamily housing. So it's hard unless you have some sort of complicated loop to figure out how you serve both of those east-west corridors. This interlining creates a pretty unique opportunity for people who would live in that area. So um, let's imagine that you're somebody who lives near Overland and Queens. So obviously you'd be able to hop on Route 4, travel up to Rock Chalk or LMH, but also anywhere to the east. Um, the value of interlining is that if you take this westbound Route 4 bus, at LMH, it would become Route 10 and head back along Wakarusa, down to Bob Billings and back to the hub. Um, so under that circumstance, you, you not only have kind of one seat ride access along Route 4's line, 
but you would also be able to connect into Route 10 without ever changing a bus. And that's the um, one of the big values of interlining for, for passengers. Um, so I might pause there and just see if there's interlining questions. You know, this happens a few, in a few different places across the two scenarios. And I think is a really, um, it's a really valuable thing that we need to talk with people about because it, it, you know, upon first glance, um, perhaps it's frustrating to someone that they, you know, Route 10 seems far away and you'd have to walk to it in order to travel down Wakarusa or to the hub. Um, you know, after explanation, you understand that it's it's a one seat ride away. It's it's quite convenient. I'll pause there and see if there's any thoughts or questions. Excuse me, P-Tech. So I think I followed most of that, but would Route 4 after arriving at LMH West, would there be some buses that would turn back and go the, re the re uh, reverse path on Route 4 or would all of the buses go from Route 4 to Route 10? Like, how does it work if you want to go the reverse direction on Route 4, for example? Right. So um, there are buses going in both directions. So it operates the way I described. It also operates the opposite, where a Route 10 um, arrives to LMH and it leaves as Route 4. So you've got bi-directional service on both corridors. If you live somewhere along one of these routes, you will take Route 4 to and from home. You will take Route 10 to and from home. That all looks um, the same as it does to data riders. It's just that you also have this kind of ride-through option to travel along a different corridor as well without getting off the bus. Okay. Excuse me, P-Tech. So I guess the other part that I'm not quite clear on is then what's the functional difference between there being a route that is simply 4 and 10 put together and buses are going back and forth from the termini of each route, almost like, you know, a double length route, basically? It's a good question. So uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. So the big benefit is um, never having to worry about missing a transfer, right? So you're not trying to get off Route 4 and get onto Route 10 and hoping that one of those buses isn't behind, running down on schedule, um, you, you will never miss that transfer. So that's a big benefit to passengers. Um, operationally, it allows bus operators to have a little more variety in their days. Um, there are instances that this particular scenario is maybe not the best example of this, but if you um, interline two short routes together, you can schedule your layover time at the end of that entire cycle, as opposed to each of those routes separately having five or 10 minutes of downtime for a bus operator, um, which you may not need or want. If you've got a, a route that's only um, 20 minutes, let's say, you might not want, uh, it's not very efficient for a bus to be operating for 20 minutes, layover for 10, 20 minutes, layover for 10. If you piece that together with um, a 40 minute route, you can have a 60 minute loop and then somebody lays over for 10 minutes. Um, your bus is in operation more often and that's what we want out of our fixed route buses is we want them to be on a route picking up people, uh, not spending as much time laying over. So there's some operational efficiencies as well that, that we would care about from an agency perspective. 
So I think all that stuff I understand. I guess what I don't understand is why four and ten don't become a single route because then you would get the same efficiencies as you would by interlining them. At least that's what it seems based on the explanation so far. Yeah, is and, it and more of like of, a legacy naming? Imagine like people are used may to four I, and ten. May I address that a little bit? Um, give me give me one chance to to okay, respond, and then I'll, I'll let you um, let you jump sure. in, Margareta. So. Um, the the reason you would want to keep them as separate routes because you're you're correct they would function as um, it would function as a single route from the back end. It would be somewhat challenging for a, a passenger to comprehend this entire stretch as a single route and what does eastbound mean and what does westbound mean. Um, so there's some um, there's some communication aspect to that as well on on um, you know what is a single route and when do you break it up. But go ahead, Margaret, if you had other things to add. Well, that was pretty much exactly what I was going to say. This is something where if people need Route 4, but it's labeled 10 and they there's enough not understanding of bus routes by the average user, but adding layers of complexity to it is a really bad idea from a customer service standpoint. That makes sense. Although I would argue by making this all a single line, it's technically making it simpler just because it's a single line. But to a user, it's more complex because now you're like, which direction am I going on which part of the route? So, okay. I can understand why you'd want to keep the designations separate, but fundamentally it's still one route. So, okay. I think I'm up to speed now. Thanks. Well, as a vice chair, PTAC, as a, uh, Lifelong bus rider, I get it. I understand it. Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. I know we're at time here, um, so I'm happy to. Uh, I I can walk through some information about microtransit and some of the things we've heard from people. Um, you know, a lot of that. There's been a ton of good discussion on our recorded. Um, meetings that we have had that are available to the public. We still have a couple to post from last week. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of open and Mike, you can uh, lead us in that if, if we'd like to discuss more or, or move along. Uh, I'm open to remain since this is a fruitful topic, but I am also mindful that others may need to leave. Uh, I believe that we've done everything that we need to in terms of official decisions. So if we drop below quorum, I don't think it's a harm in terms of actionable um, motions. Okay. So Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, I'll just um, make some comments about microtransit and some of our discussions with folks. Um, we are we are having good uh, discussions with people about what, what it could actually mean for them. Um, given that it's a new service type, there's a lot of questions and we certainly have spent time um, talking with people about it and and uh, the types of things that would make it more attractive or less attractive. I'll mention um, a couple of things related to the differences between scenario one and two. So scenario one, you'll see four large color blocks um, that are all separate microtransit zones. Um, I'll mention this in the second one also, but in general, uh, microtransit is best when it's operating on relatively short trips. Um, the longer trip across town with um, with someone in the car, 
the less likely it is that we can, in an efficient way, create shared trip opportunities along the way for other people that are requesting microtransit. Um, so it, it just lowers its efficiency. It lowers the number of people per hour that we can transport in those vehicles. We generally, um, you know, we're looking at microtransit as a way to connect people who maybe live in areas that are just difficult to serve with fixed route. Um, uh, for longer crosstown trips, we really want people connecting into the fixed route system. That's the most efficient way for us to get people on these major corridors. Um, but microtransit has this flexible element that, that allows us to um, provide a little more access. So in this first scenario, um, it's envisioned that people would travel within these color blocked zones um, on a microtransit service, or if they needed to travel across town, they would be connecting in with the fixed route, typically at one of the, the major transfer points. You can see the Bob Billings hub is at this confluence of three of the microtransit zones, and that's on purpose. Um, that's to create a, a, a seamless way that someone could connect to a cross town route that they need. Um, you see downtown as well, there's um, very close to three zones that are all kind of coming together at that location. You see South Iowa as another place where we've got a convergence of routes and um, microtransit zones. So um, in a general sense, this is a service that people can uh, use much like Uber and Lyft. It would be something that you would request on demand, um, best to use with an app on a phone, but you can also uh, call in. So we there is that backup where if you don't have a smartphone, you can still access this service. Um, I think one of the things we've heard from people is they don't want their wait time to be too long. They would use it if their wait time's not too long. And I think that's reasonable. I think we would hope that um, 15 minutes would be a good goal for um, kind of a max that someone would need to wait for one of those vehicles to arrive. So that's going to depend, you know, we'll have to, we would have to figure out how many vehicles you would put out to achieve that. We've heard people talk about cost, you know, they're interested in the service, but not if it costs a whole lot more. Um, so that's something, certainly something we need to look at um, as some of the key reasons why people would, uh, would be open to using this if it kind of meets these certain criteria. Scenario one is a good example of, you know, I think because it's a new service and isn't out there yet, um, while we don't want, you know, we want, we want to sell it appropriately as far as what it'll actually be, but I think there can be an initial reaction that it's a less quality service than fixed route. So if my community has lost a fixed route service and microtransit is my only option, I think there's some people viewing that as as not as good. And um, I can understand that. Fixed route is something people know. You know, they know what, what to expect out of that. Not sure what to expect out of microtransit. So that's a discussion that's come up a lot. Um, in scenario one, one of the uh, fixed route areas that um, currently exists but, but does not in scenario one is in this kind of north central part of the city. We've got a lot of industry up here um, with a lot of shift workers. And with, um, you know, with the right number of vehicles, I, I think there is a scenario where, where microtransit does work really well and work better for, for people in this area. Um, but 
there's a lot of details to be worked out, right? So I think that's a conversation we're having with people is, you know, Route 3 used to serve me directly. I know what that service means to me. And um, I'm not sure what this orange square means to me. <laughs> um, so that's, you know, clarity on exactly how this microtransit service looks, I, I think will come in um, our final recommended scenario when we're piecing together these different components. I think there'll be more specificity on how it will look and how we expect the service to perform. Um, but we're trying to tease out those those concerns from people so we know what what to build. You know, if your expectations are here, you know, how can we meet that? Um, and those are some of the talks we're having. Uh, can I ask a quick question? Yes. I know you have labeled that microtransit would use transit vehicles. Uh, can you clarify what class of vehicles we have that would be used for microtransit? Yes, uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. So uh, this is one of the places we're actually set up pretty well to, to transition and have microtransit service um, if, if we choose to implement that. Uh, we, we would use cutaways um, as the service vehicle or in the future, I, th I think we could procure like the Ford Transit vans. A lot of times you see those kind of tall roofed vans that uh, other agencies use for microtransit. Those um, have some of the similar needs that a, a cutaway does. They still have like a lift for wheelchair access. Um, they obviously have fewer seats, but are a little more flexible on getting on smaller streets and that sort of thing. So it would be cutaways or smaller is essentially the, the type of response I would give to that. Thank you. I do just want to um, also mention, um, we're talking about microtransit. Scenario 2 has a different approach. It has a citywide zone. It maintains a KU zone um, that I, I think is imagined as, you know, operating under certain conditions, maybe with different eligibility. Um, you know, we talk about like Safe Ride right now that has an eligibility for only KU students. Um, an overlay like this might have some similar uh, type of constraints, perhaps, um, for different times of year it operates, that sort of thing. The citywide zone, uh, the approach there would be that you could take crosstown trips in a microtransit vehicle, um, but it would employ distance-based pricing. So the farther your trip, the more you would pay, um, which would essentially incentivize you to take shorter trips or connect into the fixed route system for those longer cross towns. Um, so that's the kind of different vision, uh, you know, towards the same end with microtransit, trying to get short trips to happen um, for people. All of that is under this, this other layer that we still um, have to evaluate as part of this project, which is um, fare free service and its impacts on the system. And does fare free apply to just fixed route? Does it apply to fixed route and microtransit? Um, uh, you know, does it apply to both, but only if you, uh, you know, you're only able to get free microtransit if you really are, you know, a quarter mile or farther away from a fixed route bus route. You know, we want to make sure everyone has access to free transit, but if you're within walking distance to a fixed route bus, we would like you to do that. Um, these are some of the decisions we have to make as we as we get towards that final recommended scenario and funding and fares um, to think about. 
So I might, um, I will probably leave it at that. Like I said, these maps are on the web. We're going to work to um, have them at some of our upcoming events. We'll get some promotion out so that people know that they're there. Um, but with that, I'm happy to, to answer any, uh, if there's route specific questions or, or anything else, happy to talk about that. Uh, does anyone have any questions, PTEC members? I don't see any members of the public anymore. Okay, hearing none and anticipating that we want to get home. Uh, thank you very much for that information, Adam. Uh, great detail about what we need to do. So uh, thank you. Um, so Next item on the agenda then is uh, E1, which is feature items or other topics of merit. Uh, so if any PTAC member has any topic that they want to ask us to look at, uh, feel free to bring it up now. Uh, as always, you're free to email myself, Lance, and Adam with other agenda items that you'd like to see us discuss going forward. So is there anyone that has anything that we wanna bring up now? I am seeing nothing and choosing to go forward uh, quickly. So uh, next item on the agenda was uh, route redesign update from the steering committee. If uh, August or Freddie Gip have any comments that they want to make. I think we already talked a lot about your work, so. This August, we just saw, sorry, Freddie. Yeah, and Adam did to answer, when he was answering Mark's question, that's what a lot of the meeting was about is getting the public engaged in this discussions. Since they're the end users of our transit system and Adam outlined like he did tonight, the meetings, the public, the surveys, the public meetings, the face-to-face -face interactions uh, in the library and the bus. And so really when he answered Mark's questions, he basically did my part for me. Great, uh, thank you, August. Freddie, do you have anything else you want to add? This is Freddie, a PTAC member. Um, Adam briefly mentioned it, and we will be hosting an event next week at Sacred Ground Haskell, which is north of the campus. Um, essentially, that meeting will, will be in conjunction with Representative Christina Haswood. And so we're going to kind of just dive in and kind of just figure out, you know, from a perspective of Haskell students, you know, their needs, where do they live, and what, what would they like to see too, uh, with the goal of, you know, getting more uh, faculty and staff engagement from the university as well. So that's on the books for next week. So you guys are invited to come too. Uh, could you advise me what date time is that it's again? About, it's a Wednesday. I think it's Wednesday on, uh, is it the 17th? Yeah, it's on the 19th. 19, yeah, it's, it's on the uh, it's on a Wednesday at 6.30. 6.30, okay. Um, I might be able to make that 17th at 6.30. 17th is 17th. Okay, I've got my calendar open. Uh, could you, Freddie, could you send that to me in an email so I can get on my personal advice, please? Yep, I can do that. Thank you. Uh, Lance, Lance, Vice Chair, is there, is there one at the library this Thursday as well? Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. What's the uh, time on that just... Yeah, that, this one is uh, during the work. So this one's three to five in the afternoon. Um, we we're able to get an evening meeting before, but this one is three to five. Okay. Thank you for that information. Um, I'm assuming that there's no further comments, questions on that. Uh, anybody? 
Okay. Uh, transit staff items. Uh, Adam, do you have a Cliff's Notes version of the other items you have listed? I do. Uh, Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Uh, no AIC update. We continue to wait from the state, so I will um, be sending an email out as soon as we hear from them. Uh, joint branding, that discussion has changed a little bit in our meetings with the university. Um, so I, we've pivoted to um, more of a campaign to just educate the community that um, everyone can ride both buses. Um, you know, students can ride city buses, people who live in the city can ride the buses that are branded KU. Um, so at this time, we're not uh, diving into a full joint branding effort. Um, but I'll keep you all apprised as that, that moves forward. The last item is we've got a few PTEC members that uh, we have um, their terms expiring this year. So uh, Nick and Gregory, you are um, two of those, and then Alan Ackland is the other. Uh, so if you all um, would like to continue, um, then you'll just reapply through the website again, the same way you did the first time around. Um, the, uh, you know, the appointments to this group are at the discretion of the mayor. Um, I would ask that if you um, uh, don't believe you are going to reapply, just let me know that. Um, I usually communicate with the mayor um, if we have a position that's being vacated, kind of what our um, uh, what perspectives we are lacking, what we could use, um, you know, just to round out our perspectives. Um, so yeah, Nick, Alan, Gregory, all of you are eligible to renew, um, uh, not required to, but let me know uh, which which way you're headed so so we can plan accordingly. Thank you for that information, Adam. Uh, Unless those members want to speak, uh, next meeting is going to be December 13th. Um, hope you'll all be able to be there. Uh, thank you very much for the lively discussion today about some really important topics. And thank you to those of you who stuck it out to the end of this meeting. Uh, with that, uh, we'll adjourn and hope you have a great night. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thank you.